I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Changing Politics, the podcast where we take the looming terror shaking us to the core and push it right down inside so tidy that you can listen to it in tiny bite-sized chunks. This week, we'll be talking about trans healthcare and how you can support trans rights. I'm Gronya McGuire, the human embodiment of a Netflix Christmas movie. And I'm Maria Comte, and all I want for Christmas is for people to stop talking about Brexit for five minutes. Dream on, sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump headfirst into the snowy crevice that is the news. Woo! <laughs> so here's a little festive poem to get us in the mood. "'Twas the weeks before Brexit, and all through the house, all the Tories were panicking, even Liz Trouse. The ERG tried and failed to topple May with a coup. Then she went to Brussels and pissed off the EU. No deal looked likely, and we'll flourish, says Hunt, but he just wants to be PM, the conniving little... So, how do you think it's been, <laughs> Marie? How would just in general Brexit? Yeah, it's, it's been great. I've been loving it. Like every second of it, I've been cherishing it. It's been, um, but no, like on a more serious note, like I find it completely baffling that um, we had like literally there was a no confidence vote against the prime minister six days ago, um, and it kind of like it just kind of came and went. <laughs> like, and it's such I think a symptom of like how mad everything has become that literally again there was a no confidence vote against the prime minister, which he won but not by a great margin. Under a week ago, and we've kind of just moved on. And it was such a weird, like, for me last week, that was kind of the main thing, really, of, like, that weird, intense... Like, it felt like a flow was kind of like, oh, 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 and moving on. Mm -hmm. It was quite fun. I ended up um, going to the bar in Parliament for when it was announced because I could not resist the drama. Um, and that was quite fun, to be honest. Like, lots of drunk MPs basically being like, <laughs> ah, who the fuck knows what's about to happen anyway? Like, I know there was quite a lot of Labour MPs in the bar. Just being like, we're just here for the drama. <laughs> just, just here to get pissed. Here um, for the drum drums, love us. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I don't fucking know. Like, I've kind of lost the will to live, but that's not new. So, yeah, how about you? Well, yeah, that's the big news this week. Like a sleigh manned by a drunk Santa Claus, we're careering towards a no-deal Brexit and the government's advice, like a drunk Santa Claus, is mostly just, ah, it'll be fine. Hope you have enough insulin, though. I mean, so much has happened this week. It's like the news was, was a printer that had just got back online, so it prints 
everything all at once. It was like every news story was being superseded by another one seconds later. And this is me as a comedian saying this. I have no idea what it was like as a person with a proper job. It was like a roller coaster ride, but one of those in Blackpool Fairground that gets shut down for health code violations. I will say the one thing that actually um, happened today, which I found, no, I think yesterday, but anyway, that only saw today, which I found really funny that, and it was a very serious interview where um, Health Secretary Matt Hancock was talking about what the Department for Health was doing mm. to kind of like prepare um, in the case of a no deal Brexit. Um, and one of the things, obviously, that they need to stockpile medicine because, you know, obviously that's our reality now. Mm. But the way he phrased it was, I've become the largest buyer of fridges in the world. <laughs> and it's just such a weird way to put it. I genuinely feel like it's just the idea of like, it's not you know, a department doing that, a government. It's just Matt Hancock in general, like, just fucking loves fridges. He's a, ooh, ooh, ooh. You could say, if he buys that many fridges, that he's a fridge magnet. <laughs> <laughs> Try the veal. Um, yeah, that was my joke. I'm done for the episode now. <laughs> I mean, it's just such a weird brag. <laughs> no, I know. It's kind of like weird flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Weird remake of Frozen. <laughs> so last Wednesday was the no confidence vote, Marie, that you were uh, reminding us about, that Theresa may only just squeak through and mostly did by saying that she wouldn't lead the Tories into the next election, which is great, because if there's one thing I want, it's a Brexit run by a person who's retiring to the Alps next year, so is definitely just phoning it in. I mean, being one day from retirement is what I want from characters played by Danny Glover in cop buddy films, not the person responsible for the biggest political decision for a generation. I just think it's one of those super obvious things. It does feel like quite an obvious thing. The person who screwed up a snap general election so badly that she's resorted to running a minority government with the help of a Northern Irish political party who hate her guts. Well, guess what? She's not going to lead the party into the next election. Wow, what a loss. I guess they really had to talk her out of that. <laughs> I mean, how was that in any way a surprise to anybody that she wasn't going to lead the party if there's a... I don't know, because actually, no, like, you say that, but I think there had been whispers for... I mean, I think there's two things. The first thing being that there had been whispers kind of on and off over the past few months that actually she would consider probably staying on for longer because, you know, it's kind of the thing, like, she's not strong, but she's stable. Um, and I think, you know, when you looked at, you know, the kind of, like, mini reshuffle she did, I can't remember when now, and like, a few kind of things, you know, it's very much like criminology, but some people were starting to say, actually, this does kind of look like Theresa May might just try to cling on. So I think that, you know, on, on the one hand, I think it was probably quite good of her to say it because some of the people started not believing it, um, you know, believe that she would leave. But I think the other thing, and that kind of underpins, I think, basically everything that happens these days in the Conservative Party, especially Parliamentary Conservative Party, and between sort of like them and number 10, is that there is now a complete lack of trust. And I think, you know, like, and that's something I've mentioned before, I'm sure, but like about the backstop. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason why a lot of the, like, Tory backbenchers are against the idea of the backstop, you know, partly it is because they are completely fucking frothing mad. Mm -mm. But also another reason is that, you know, when Theresa May says, you know, we genuinely will try our hardest to not end up with the backstop and kind of, you know, it is meant to be a last resort and even if it does happen, it'll be temporary. There is no trust there. Like, they do not trust her when she says that. They do not trust her when she says anything. So I think that's kind of the main, that one of the main issues for her at the end of the day is that she does not have the, like, let, you know, let alone the support, but like, she does not have the trust of her benches. So then on Thursday, May went to Brussels to try to get 
something for her deal. Now, it's not entirely clear what she thought she would get. A legal reassurance that the backstop would only be temporary. But what is that? It's an insurance policy. So why would you want an insurance policy that runs out after a year and you can't renew it? That's not an insurance policy. That's a compare the meerkat scam. The EU unsurprisingly turned it down, which means that the deal is effectively dead in the water. And that means we've all gone into no deal preparation mode. So, Marie, which underground bunker do you want to live in? Because I was thinking maybe I'd bag the Highgate tube before I got too busy and start a new life as a mole queen. I don't know. So I'm going on holiday um, in March, coming back several days before the 29th, just putting out there. Um, and I'm going to Venice and I'm kind of thinking that might just stay there. Yeah. I, know, I can, I'm French, like, I'm, I'm an e-citizen. I can just stay, I can just start a new life in Venice and have a lovely time. And I'm not really sure what I'd get up to there, but I can, surely I can find something. I can just turn up and be like, sup, can I like m- make pasta? You'd be an amazing gondolier. I agree, I agree. I look great in a mask, um, you know, and in a jaunty hat. <laughs> so In uh, Venice, all you have to worry about is the slow but gradual rise of sea levels. Yeah, but that's going to take ages, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently preparation for no deal will cost two billion pounds. Now, obviously, that's two billion that won't be going to the NHS or improving the lives of people shattered by universal credit or tackling the massive inequality in society or the fixing of crumbling schools or paying off the deficit. Do you remember that? Do you remember the deficit? But hey, it's not like anyone needed the money anyway, was it? It's not like there have been several high-profile stories in the last week about people on universal credit having to search for food in bins, have there? It will be fine. What's worrying is the way that even Remainers are now saying that everything will be fined under a no deal. So somebody like Jeremy Hunt. I mean, I've never said Jeremy Hunt has been a voice of reason before, unless we're talking specifically about the reason that all my friends went to medical school are now moving to Australia and New Zealand. But it's still scary to see how he's starting to ape the Brexiteers, presumably in a way to get people on side for the inevitable election campaign. He said... Even in a no-deal situation, this is a great country. We'll find a way to flourish and prosper. Of course, Jeremy Hunt will find a way to flourish and prosper in the face of disaster. That's basically been his entire career. So on a personal note, um, I did two interviews for the Irish media last week. And I found it so strange because both times they asked me, is it difficult to be an Irish person living in the UK at the moment? So all these messages that's been sent outside of the UK to other EU countries, especially to Ireland, especially with Prishy Patel's comment about, oh, we'll just starve them into doing what we want to do. Irish people are seeing this and thinking they're getting such a toxic idea about sort of British people and English people's attitude to Irish people. And they genuinely, so the interviewer was like, is it difficult to be an Irish person in the UK? And I was like, no, all English people are trying to find Irish grannies to get an EU passport. <laughs> and then I was talking to my mum and she was like, is everything okay? Is everything okay? I'm, a, you know, I'm worried about you. Apparently, you know, they're all, it's all, there's a huge anti-Irish feeling. And these are the people, these are the countries that the UK are trying to negotiate with. And they're just hmm. burning so many bridges for no reason whatsoever. It is completely mad, but I'd like to um, lighten the mood and lower the tone for a second. You mentioned Australia um, earlier, and that reminded me of probably my favourite story of the month. And the bar is really high. Mm-hmm. So an Australian MP called Andrew Broad uh, was caught up in a sexting scandal, which, you know, 
fine that that happens but it's just that the sex have been released um and so it starts off to like the screenshot shows the question do you like Aussie accents that's him and the woman says I love Aussie accents I think they're so sexy so then he replied again that is an Australian MP I'm gonna have to try and say this without bursting out laughing which is not going to be easy so he replied I pull you close run my strong hands down your back softly kiss your neck and whisper good day mate <laughs> And then a follow-up text said, I'm a country guy, so I know how to fly a plane, ride a horse, fuck my woman. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, no, there you go. I mean, I feel like there's not a lot more to say about this, but it could be worse. Like, things could be maybe worse here, like, if those sex had come out by a British MP. <laughs> Basically, that was an Australian politician looking at England and going, you call this a sex, that a sex scandal, <laughs> this, this is a sex scandal. <laughs> Speaking of sleazy old men... Have you seen the footage of Jean-Claude Juncker stroking um, this woman? I presume she works for him, stroking, um, he was stroking her hair. Did you Did you see Oh, what? I did see that, but not quite just stroking, kind of like playing with it in the weirdest way. Like I, I would have punched him in the face, I am happy to say. So he's from Luxembourg, so I'm thinking, he's French like you. <laughs> Is this like a new French thing, you know, like kissing on two cheeks? Are we all going to be grabbing each other's hairs like we're sociopaths holding a Barbie for the first time? Is this a new fashion I mean, thing? I hope not. Like, I feel like, you know, admittedly I've not been in front since May, so maybe it's been kind of like a fast-moving uh, thing. I hope not. But, yeah, no, that, that video was... Uh, uh, just I felt physically unwell watching it. And um, It's weird because we are on the whole are quite pro-EU. There's sort of a feeling that we should be defending everything that is sort of EU and Romani. But even like somebody like that, that is pretty lechy, creepy behaviour. He's basically like Gerard Depardieu without any of the redeeming features, such as his ability to wee into a bottle on a plane. <laughs> I, I don't like Theresa May, but then I didn't like the way that he was touching her arm during that frosty video. I know, no, that was kind of... Because also I think there was a point where, like, she very briefly touched his arm and, like, fine. But like then, yeah, like, the way he was clearly, like, kind of, like, properly grabbing her arm, it just felt, ugh, ugh. Yeah, and it all kind of plays into the way that May is betrayed in the media. Like, last week when she was up against the confidence vote, there were cartoons of her in a sort of Fifty Shades of Grey parody in lots of national newspapers. And it's like... If this was any other politician, they wouldn't have immediately gone to such a sexual image. Obviously, we should lampoon her and be able to take the piss out of her. But it's just as a woman, she's seen as fair game to sort of objectify and sexualise her in a way that's really demeaning and that her male counterparts never are. So there are lots of things that are terrible about Theresa May. But you don't need to belittle her gender to do it. And I agree, wasn't there? Like, I think there was an... Independent, I want to say, like, come in peace a few days ago, saying uh, Theresa May's premiership has set back women in politics like, decades. And it's like, I'm sorry, like, did David Cameron's premiership like mm -mm -mm. set back men's achievements in politics in decades? Like, that's not, you know, one woman's, yeah, A, one woman's actions does not represent, do not represent, you know, the actions of all women. Mm. And B, yeah, again, her gender has nothing to do with that, like, in that yeah. case, like, yeah. And the thing about this type of stuff is, Sadly, it is across the entire political spectrum. Like, it's hard for Theresa May to be totally appalled by Juncker's behaviour when she allowed so many MPs who have been suspended for doing much worse than Juncker back into the party last week 
just so they could vote for her. So Burton MP Andrew Griffiths and Dover MP Charlie Elphick have both had their whip withdrawn um, in the past over allegations for sexual misconduct and then miraculously had it given back to them just at the exact moment that she needed them. So I just think that's very convenient, isn't it? It's a bit like a film director saying they're never going to work with Kevin Spacey ever again. I mean, obviously, unless a really good offer for the usual suspects too comes in. It was, yeah, no, I, I think that was just like a completely like needless bad look as well because I think that also Andrew Griffiths was thought that he would vote, um, you know, to say he had confidence to Theresa May. And it was, again, I mean, he didn't say anything publicly, I think, but I think it was assumed that Charlie Elphick would probably vote, like uh, give a vote of no confidence in Theresa May. So, like, they cancel each other out. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, and, you know, and she was not, I don't know. I think, like, the one theory that I saw kind of, like, going like, during the rounds was that, Obviously, because she won that, you know, like she had 200 MPs voting for her. And maybe, like, it is possible the whips did their job so, like, very, very well managed to get all the numbers, like, to, you know, the one number. And we're like, actually, even psychologically, saying 200 MPs have convinced Theresa May sounds a lot better than, like, 198, let's say. But I don't know. I mean, that, that feels unlikely to me, especially at a time like this. I do not think that the whips um, could have, yeah, could have named that, though. What I will say, um, and I will not be giving names, but that is a fun bit of gossip, um, is that a friend of mine walked past um, like in Parliament on the night of the vote. So one MP who had publicly come out and said that he would vote against, you know, like, say he had no confidence to reason A, talking to a cabinet minister, and so that was after the results of the vote, and the cabinet minister, who is thought of as being reasonably close to Theresa May, apparently was overheard saying, well, like, you know, I know, I know, but there's nothing we can do now. So mm. snakes, snakes everywhere, snakes on a plane, snakes in Parliament, snakes in the chamber, snakes. I'm, I mean, I guess the one thing that we can be maybe slightly relieved about is that even in this new political climate where people seem to be getting away with everything and there doesn't seem to be any repercussions, at least it's good that, you know, that guy, Griffith, did lose the whip. He's the one who bombarded his constituents with, like, thousands, I think, of... Um, of of um, sleazy text messages, I you'd think in today's climate that would be like his selling point. Yeah, hi, I'm the sexting minister. You know the one who likes to sext constituents. I feel like yeah, just to like make another sexting intervention because apparently that's my brand now. <laughs> um, I still feel like those sex, like the Andrew Griffith sex, was so so bad. Like my favorite one, I think, was a uh, daddy has been busy running the country. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and what was it? I think like a busy daddy is an important daddy, and it's like that is just really grim. You know what? That is really grim. It should be at least realistic. Daddy's been really busy sorting out access to roundabouts <laughs> in my constituency. Daddy's pointed at a pothole. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Point at my pothole, daddy. <laughs> daddy's got to visit a food bank. <gasps> you killed that. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Have you seen what Graham Linnan's been up to on Twitter? He's sort of taken a, a strange Twitter turn. He kind of has, but also I feel like it has been more of a, like, a slow decline where at first it was like, oh, you know, beloved Graham, the TV person, and then kind of slowly went, oh, okay, he's, he's got some uh, some questionable opinions once in a while. And then, you know, now is just like the 24-7 anti-trans people party mm-hmm. and that's all he does. And like, I'm not entirely sure how that happened. And yeah, and I mean, I, I no longer follow him on Twitter, but um, yeah, it's, it's been a weird thing to watch kind of like happen in real time. Well, um, he's uh, sort of attracted headlines. Um, Carrie Ed Lloyd, an amazing comedian, uh, tweeted a link to a charity that uh, org uh, that fundraised for sanitary products for refugee uh, people, and uh, she just uses. She used the term bleeders instead of women because she was trying to be jaunty and fun on Twitter. And it was just a link to a charity. And Graham retweeted it and and took real umbrage with her use of bleeders. And then she received so much abuse from his followers that she just decided to leave Twitter. But I think it's become like the really weird thing about him is that clearly his main thing is like he believes that I think a large proportion of trans women are actually men, but also like that basically the current trans debate is like men telling women what to do. And obviously I can fundamentally disagree, but also like even by that metric, like what what does he think he is? Like he is a cis man. Mm basically telling women what to do. Like, you know, I, as a cis woman who's entirely fine with, like, trans women being women, like, he is telling me what to think. But by doing that, he's also trying to tell me that it's actually... I'm not I'm not even sure. I'm trying to find, like, a way to describe that logic, but it's just, like, mm-hmm. men are telling me what to think, and as a result, he, a man, is telling me what to think instead. Yeah. <laughs> About women. Um, and the, uh, I thought it was quite funny. He's been uh, saying he's worried that uh, trans activism is going to result in cis men ins- inserting themselves into female-only spaces. And he used the medium of mumsnet <laughs> to get his point across to explain to us how the media can do better in reporting about trans people and their health care. We sent our producer to speak to Robin Craig, chair of the Trans Studies Network. But first, a little quizzy list. Let's revise some trans terminology slash look at some for the first time ever. So we said cis earlier, but what does cis actually stand for? Well, nothing. It's just Latin for same side, as if on a riverbank. But trans is Latin for across. So a transgender person is somebody who crossed away from the gender they were assigned to at birth. That doesn't mean they're the opposite gender. 
a person might identify as non-binary. So that's a person who's neither male or female. They might feel between the two, which some people call being genderqueer, not everyone. So there are people who firmly believe the scale of gender, from Sylvester Stallone masculinity to Mother Earth and pink femininity, is just not an adequate way of defining it. It's just a one-dimensional line, where instead they see it as more of a cross-axis, or perhaps a cube, or puff of irrelevant smoke. Some of those people describe themselves as non-binary because they just can't be arsed to explain something no cis, aha, uh-huh, person is ever expected to justify. Of course, one thing you can do to support trans people is to hire them, which is what we've done this week. Our regular producer is off and a trans man has taken his place. We figured that it's the least we could do to make sure that when we talk about trans issues, we get things right. Here he is, as promised, speaking to Robin Craig from the Trans Studies Network, talking about recent media coverage of trans issues. There's been this whole furore about children on puberty blockers, which is kind of... It's quite difficult to get on the NHS, is it not? The current way to have a first appointment at Tavistock, and bear in mind it's a first appointment, that's not, you won't be prescribed puberty blockers on that day. From referral, it's 18 months at the moment. So it's not what has been kind of put in the press where people walk into a mermaid's clinic. It's not even necessarily a clinic, but a mermaid's space and are just given puberty blockers or given what, be given what's been called cross-sex hormones and sent on their way. That's not how it works. There's generally an 18 month wait. What happened in regards to mermaids is on the 16th of December, the Sunday Times published an article by Andrew Gilligan, who is known for his controversial views on trans people. The story was titled Child Sex Change Charity Mermaids Handed £500,000 by National Lottery and stated an aggressive group that says under 16s should be allowed to alter their bodies medically plans to go nationwide. This was really picked up on by our friend Graeme Linehan who is currently taking a break off Twitter as of recording this but on the Sunday... Oh that's new. that's what he's doing at the moment according to him but he's active on mum's net don't you worry um on sunday the 16th the same day the article was published at 7 15 p.m graham lenahan posted on mum's net i saw the story about mermaids being given whatever insane amount it is from the national lottery the idea of 45 mermaids clinics opening around the country is terrifying we know that children treated in this way are more likely to embark on medical pathways they don't come off once they start it's deceptive to even call them clinics, isn't it? That's exactly what I was going yeah. to say. So okay. this idea of 45 mermaids clinics has been latched onto by Transphobic Press and Graham Linehan and Monsnet. And if we think about it, we think we think about the grant of £500,000 and that being spread across 45 different, like, in air quotes, clinics across the UK. By the time you've opened 45 bases for mermaids, £500,000 is not very much. £500,000 will not facilitate what we what we would think of as like an NHS walk-in clinic, which I think is the bougie man that Linehan and the Mumsnet crowd are afraid of. What can be supported with that amount of money across 45 clinics are things like social groups, drop-in counselling, youth groups, things like that, support for parents. It's They're not medical clinics in the way that they've been characterised by the press and by Linehan. And ironically, there's far fewer... NHS gender clinics anyway uh, I think I don't know how many there are in the UK I, but I it's think, not I think it's less than 20 
Yeah, um, definitely less than 20. Yeah, I, I think it might be less than 15. I would be unsurprised if it was yeah. less than 15. I mean, there isn't one in Wales still. So. Still there's not one in Wales, yeah. <laughs> so what Linehan did on this Mumsnet post was he encouraged Mumsnet users to email staff at the Big Lottery Fund to stop the grant from going through. And so we look at the stance of care from the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. We can actually look at the concrete research that goes behind child and adolescent transitioning. In prepubescent children, according to a study in 2001 and one in 1995, children under the age of 12 who were referred to clinics for assessment for gender dysphoria, the dysphoria persisted into adulthood on, in only 6 to 23% of children. Boys in these studies were more likely to identify as gay in, adult, in adulthood than as transgender, according to several other studies. But newer studies, including girls, showed a 12 to 27% persistence rate for gender dysphoria into adulthood. In contrast, the persistence of gender dysphoria into adulthood appears to be much higher for adolescents. So this is where the divide between children and adolescents comes in. Bear in mind that children aren't receiving any kind of medical intervention. Now when we get to adolescents who may go on puberty blockers, after an 18 month wait, bear in mind, no formal studies exist. However, in a follow-up study of 70 adolescents who are diagnosed with gender dysphoria and given puberty-suppressing hormones, 100% continued with the actual sex reassignment, beginning with feminising or masculinizing hormone therapy once they hit 18. So that for adolescents, there, there's a regression rate of 0%. And in that case, Linehan, I guess, is right in saying that most people don't come off medical pathways once they start. But at least it's not a phase, because, you know, the worst thing in the world would be a phase. Yeah, so these trans adolescents, they're not going through phases. There's there's no instance of regret when they start puberty blockers. 100% of them are going on to sex reassignment in whatever form that might take, in surgery, actual cross-gender hormones. There's a 0% chance of regret when adolescents are given puberty blockers. And I think Linehan's reframing of that into this terrifying medical pathway that people don't come off once they start is really disingenuous. It, it, it paints it as much, much, much well better funded than any trans healthcare service in the country that it actually exists as well. Yeah, it, it frames it as people are throwing hormones at trans people, which I think if you ask any trans person isn't the case. People often do wait two years to get their first prescription of hormones. And that's if your GP is even receptive to your request to be referred in the first place. You mm. can self-refer now, but when I was looking to um, get a referral to a gender clinic, that wasn't the case. I think I waited about 18 months for my GP to even accept my uh, request to be referred at all. And by that point, I'd given up on him uh, and uh, sought private healthcare, which was extremely expensive and still is mm, yeah i did the same when i transitioned initially i was refer initially i was referred to charon cross gender clinic who subsequently lost my paperwork <laughs> and after realizing i couldn't live without hormone therapy for much longer i decided to go private and end up spending in the range of 500 to 700 pounds out of my own pocket to get private health care and that's before the waiting list for private healthcare became the length that they are now. And often these conversations, it's not necessarily even about adolescents, it's about prepubescent children. And that's what a lot of the, the kind of moral panic has been focusing on is children under the age of 12 who are supposed to be giving cross-sex like cross hormones, which just plain out isn't happening. Mermaids has been providing 
spaces for the parents of these children, these children to be with others like them, to receive social support, but there is no case of a child under the age of 12, a prepubescent child, being given any kind of medical intervention. You even have to get a a letter from a doctor to be able to get the gender recognition certificate uh, for changing your birth certificate or, or your um, passport. So, like, to have an 18-month waiting list to even get that is a lot of work, a lot of bureaucracy before you can start to be sort of identified not just by sort of uh, yourself and your family and your friends, which is hard enough, but um, the state and sort of whoever you make a bank account with or uh, whenever you uh, get ID'd in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And it very much depends on the child's school situation as well, whether it's school supportive and where that child can access the appropriate changing rooms that match their gender or the appropriate toilets that match their gender. And having the being on some kind of medical pathway is often a way of legitimising that and not that it necessarily should be, not that anyone should have to be on a medical pathway to legitimise their identity. I vehemently argue against that, but the way it is at the moment, that is a legitimising factor that the child might, or the adolescent, won't have to go to the wrong bathrooms or the wrong changing rooms. We hope hearing from people with first-hand experience has if you had any doubts, put your mind at rest. You can support Mermaids by donating money or by writing to the National Lottery in support of their work. You can also support Bloody Good, the charity that provides sanitary products to refugees, by going to their website. That's it from us this week. Thanks for listening. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.